Thank you for listening. This is Israel Rebound, a podcast joining listeners in America and other places to Israel, exploring the ties that bind us through culture, identity, and current events. I'm Alan Potash in California, and I'm joined with my co-host and friend, Liz Feldstrom in Jerusalem. Liz, how are you? I'm good, Alan. I think I just got an upgrade. Every week I've been your co-host, and this week I'm your co-host and friend. I love it. Well, that's how we got started in this. I don't know why I've ever left that out. (laughs) But I I think that we have a lot of things to talk about today. Um, Current events in Israel, we've had, you know, coalition issues. But I really want to talk to you a little bit today about the recent wave of terrorism that's taken place. We've noticed over the past several weeks, Beersheba, B'nai Brak, Jerusalem, and now Tel Aviv. Um, any thoughts on that? And then after we kind of talk about that a little bit, I'd like to get your take on preparing for Passover, which comes up this coming Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of the mood in Israel, I'll say a few things, I guess. One, so, uh, and you, I'm sure know this because you've been in Israel when there have been, you know, more types of terror activity going on. And and unfortunately, it's a part of life here, right? It, it happens from time to time. Sometimes it'll be a, a whole wave of events, sometimes an isolated incident. But whenever it happens, you know, everybody, to a certain extent, does go a little bit on alert personally. I mean, I can see it in myself and I feel like I see it in other people around me as well. You know, you're on a bus and everybody is just, you know, a little more aware of who else is on the bus with them. Or you're walking down the street and you see someone that's left their bag unattended for a moment. People are, you know, a little bit quicker to say, wait, whose bag is that? I am. So I do think that that's, you know, the case now, which is normal and as it should be. And, you know, it makes sense to be a little bit more on alert. But I also think that because this wave of violence is coming on the backs of really the country still being in, you know, well, we seem to be in a good place now, but in the trauma of COVID, and what that has meant for the whole country, and now also the war in Ukraine, um, I think there's a little bit of a limit to how on alert people can be. And so, whereas in past, and of course, this is all like totally (laughs) subjective and anecdotal, right? But I think in a past wave, you know, you'd have these incidents and people would would feel on that high alert for for a few days or for a week, you know, for some amount of time until things get quieter. And now I think that that going on alert and 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 then back down happens like faster. Right. And I and I think it's a maybe it's a self self-protection mechanism that like we're already so vamped up you just can't stay on that extra level of alert so I feel like each time we hear about one of these incidents we're like on alert for a few hours or a half a day and then we sort of force ourselves to to let it go because we just can't and then there's another one and then you get back up 
whereas it didn't used to feel like that. I um, maybe there, it's just me. <laughs> no, I look at I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. Um, and again, the the stress and tension that's in, in existence in the world today to see all these things happening. I think there's a heightened level of response when there's a a shooting that takes place in a in a restaurant or a bar or on the street. Uh, it's so random. Uh, it's as it's as random as some of the rockets that fly from Gaza into you know Israel. Um, but you talk about this this you know increased anxiety and then a calmness, and then you have the the funerals afterwards, and you learn about some of these victims, and I think that that makes it much more personal. Yes, and you know I can't emphasize enough, and it's so easy to forget how tiny Israel is, right? Anytime something like this happens, the likelihood of someone you know knowing someone, you know, that knew a victim is extremely high because we're a very small country. Lives are are very much interwoven between people having been in the army or been to one of the only a handful of a big universities, you know, that you have in the country. I am and and that makes it, you know, all the more intense. And also, I think um, maybe it has to do with, with Israel feeling like a family in a certain sense. But I don't, I don't know how quickly in the States you would hear like an interview with the immediate family of a victim, you know, of any type of, you know, terrorist event or shooting or something like that. And here, it's sort of the the norm that you would hear from those voices, a parent, a spouse, um, almost immediately after, like the next day at the funeral. Um, and to, to hear on the radio, you know, someone talking about losing a young um, family member is, is another piece of the the trauma, right? And how difficult it is for people. Um, I think that's definitely a piece of it. I definitely think that there's a piece of the size of the country and the closeness of people that you do learn more about somebody's intimate personal life after something like this. And the grieving is there as is in all cases. Uh, And when we see the actions in, in Ukraine right now, it just it makes it much more personal. Like we're all focused on how this war in Ukraine is taking place, and you see the victims every day. We don't have the same connection to those victims as you might in Israel with somebody who's been a victim of a terrorist attack or of a shooting, um, because it is such a small country, and you do have those fewer degrees of separation. Yeah. And yet, and, but also I think on the other hand, you know, when we do feel this closeness and we hear about a specific, you know, victim here in Israel and their family and who they've left behind and what, what their job was and, you know, what was their unique light in the universe, even though we don't have those kind of details, maybe about each person who's been killed in Ukraine, it does somehow highlight that even though we don't know those stories, they're there, right? That each one of those people was a whole someone with a family, with a history, with 
with hopes and dreams and everything else. I am. And so, you know, I think that layer, again, it's a, it's a lot to, to carry around right now. It is, it is a, it is a very anxious time. I, I think that's a, a good way to put it. It's an anxious time. We talked about the excuse me. I just bless you. You muted yourself, so nobody else knows. But I'll say that pauses for a sneeze. Thank, thank you. Um, <laughs> what I was saying is that you know you you can't anticipate these things. But we talked a couple of weeks ago about the summit in in the Negev with uh, four countries who've you know recently established relations with Israel or for Egypt has been in partnership with Israel for a long time and that people wanted to take some of the attention off of that. And so there were, there was a wave of attacks at that point to take my, my opinion is to take the attention off of the success of the summit. And now you've got the holiday of Ramadan coming up, uh, holiday of Passover. And these times have been uh, times when attacks have taken place to draw attention away from the joy that could be taking place. I am. Um, yes. I mean, it's yes. The month of Ramadan, which started uh, last weekend, um, has historically been a time of increased tensions in Israel. Um, and that's, you know, for a lot of reasons, not that the holiday itself has anything to do, you know, with violence, but um the and we've we talked about this a while back but when we look at uh, taking us a little bit off topic i guess but when we look at arab society in israel we know that um that a huge percentage i think it's i don't remember if it's 40% or 60% off the top of my head let's say it's 40% of I am young Arabs are not in any sort of formal framework of work or education or or career training, right? Meaning they're 18 years old, they finish school and they have nothing to 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 structure their day, to to plan for, to work toward. Um, and that that is a huge problem. I mean, it's a problem around the world, right? Countries measure themselves by what percentage of that population group are in this category of not being in education and not being in employment. It's a whole, it's called the NEAT index, right? I am, and, and I think in Israel, that number being so high is very much connected to the idea of, you know, when you have a lot of people that don't have something else to do and they're getting together to celebrate a holiday, they wind up also airing all sorts of frustrations and other issues that exist in that society, and it amplifies whatever feelings were already there. Um, and unfortunately, it, you know, because people are getting together and maybe fasting, also, you know, it's not easy for any of us. People can be cranky when they're hungry. I am. Um, it 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 just escalates feelings in a way that you know, historically has had, has led to sort of outbursts of violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good analysis. You mentioned another index, the NEAT index. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with the NEAT index. So that so that's the acronym. This N E E T for not in employment or education or training. Um, so that's a term that's used globally for how many, what percentage of young people are considered in this NEAT category, right? That they finished school, but they're they're not in college, they're not in vocational training, they don't have a job. Yeah, that's the that NEAT, N-E-E-T acronym. It's really interesting. It's a new index for me to look up. <laughs> I don't want to move on to too much past this conversation, but we tied a little bit of this into the holiday of Ramadan and now the upcoming holiday of Passover. One of the things you and I like to talk about is the differences between how holidays are observed in America versus Israel uh, in in both of the communities that I've lived in, excuse me, in the past, it's always been a struggle to find good Passover food in the grocery store. You know, you can get your matzah and you can get your gefilte fish, but it's the same, you know, matzah and the same gefilte fish every year. Uh, and once in a while, there'll be a new kind of macaroon or a new kind of sugar-coated candy. Uh, what's it like shopping for Passover in Israel? Um, it is is so different, you know. I, I have very fond memories, actually, of um, my first time shopping for Passover in Omaha, which I have to tell you, I did while I was still in Israel, because we, we moved from Israel to Omaha in March. And um, our listeners that are, are in Omaha and perhaps many other parts of the States as well will know that the Passover items come out in the supermarket like a full month before Passover. And if you don't get them at the beginning of when they're put out, you may not get any. So when we knew when we were moving to Israel, um, people, maybe your sister was one of them, told us, you know, you, you'll have to buy your Passover food now, or you won't have any. And I said, what do you mean? It's Purim. We're celebrating Purim here in Israel. What Passover? Um, but sure enough, we did, uh, we sent people to the supermarket on our behalf in Omaha before we had even arrived and also placed an order with the kosher co-op that was bringing, you know, a truck of food from Kansas City. Um, and split items with there were some people in the community that that's how I met them. I, you know, was emailing with them to split an order of gefilte fish for two um, for Passover. And that's that's how we met. So. Uh, so I definitely vividly remember what it's like to shop for for Passover food in Omaha here in Israel. Certainly the. Availability and options are are much broader in some ways, right? Uh, Every supermarket has basically everything kosher for Passover by the time you get to the holiday. We don't start until much closer to. You really, it's the last two, two and a half weeks before Passover. You can't get anything before that. So it's really in in that last stretch. And what happens in that, you know, two and a half week mark up until the holiday itself is that you'll see in every supermarket, the the aisles start to shift from being a few items kosher for Passover to 
only kosher for Passover and anything else that's left in the store by the time the holiday starts that's not kosher for Passover is covered with a big tarp and it's not for sale and you're not supposed to be able to see it, right? Because part of the technical observance of Passover is that we're not meant to see chametz. We're not meant to see the foods that are not kosher Passover. So they cover them in the store lest you see them. Um, and I believe it is illegal for stores to sell those items during during the days of the holiday itself. So, you know, secular folks who feel very strongly about being able to eat bread during Passover need to hurry up and stock up before the holiday and put it in their freezer because they will not be able to buy it during the holiday. Um, uh, what else? I, let me just jump in for a second. Yeah. I do know that there are um, villages that people will go to to get their pitot and stuff during Passover. Mm-hmm. So those that don't observe it um, often find themselves in a village someplace that is not uh, a Jewish village and they can get whatever they, they need. But your point is, is that the bakery is closed down and there is nothing available. Are you seeing any new interesting items in the grocery store that are specific for Passover? Um, so in the past several years, I guess there have been more kosher for Passover like pasta type items. I I think I tried one of them when they first came out and it wasn't very good. And I sort of said, forget it. We don't need pasta. And I haven't tried again, but maybe at some point we'll try again. Um, in terms of items, another thing that's very different here is because such a large percentage of um, Israeli Jews are of Sephardic ancestry. And their tradition is that they eat Kitniot, right? Legumes, this whole category of uh, beans and peas and corn and and rice and all of these things that um, Ashkenazi Jews would never even cross their minds might be kosher or Passover. For for most Israelis, it's obvious that those are kosher or Passover. So seeing all of those items in the mar- in the supermarket marked kosher Passover is a difference. And actually. If one is trying to be strictly observant of the Ashkenazi minhag and not eat kidney at all, it can be challenging because um, finding items that are marked kosher Passover and say that they do not include any kidney um, requires a lot of careful reading of tiny little labels. Um, and it's the and it's the minority of items in the stores. Um, so that's another difference. Another difference, I think, also, there are some restaurants that stay open during Passover mm-hmm. and they change everything out. They clean everything out and they prepare, you know, Passover meals uh, during the holiday. I remember eating a Passover pizza. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw, um, I I was in, I think, the central bus station in Tel Aviv for some reason on Passover a million years ago. I mean, probably close to 20 years ago. And they were selling hot dogs. And the bun was like an entire sheet of matzah that I guess had been soaked in water, like real quickly, just enough to soften it up. 
and then wrapped around the hot dog. And then I don't know if they deep fried the whole thing or what, how they got this to stay together, but you could see it. I mean, it was clearly a hot dog with a sheet of matzo wrapped around it. And I thought, wow, I'm not in Kansas anymore. This is a very different, I have never seen a hot dog wrapped in matzo like that. Um, and another thing in terms of how you know, stores or restaurants change over for the holiday. So I actually asked, there's a very nice store in our neighborhood that sells all kinds of nuts and dried fruits. And they have like fancy cheeses and different kinds of olives and that kind of a thing. I don't know what you call this type of store, but that's the kind of thing they sell. And I asked the shopkeeper, I was there already. This was a week and a half ago. I asked him when they anticipated that the items in the store would already be kosher for Passover. And he said that actually the the spreads and and the those kind of salads were already kosher at Passover and that everything else would be in a few days. There's really not very much they have to do, which sounded strange to me. So I said, really? You know, well, what about, what about your oven? Right. It's, it's half the store is nuts. They roast all of these nuts in their oven. What about your oven? He said, no, he said, we only use potato flour all year long. So actually, our oven is always kosher for Passover, uh, which I thought was really interesting, right? Not only does the store have a plan, he knows exactly when, but they keep it, you know, the whole year round so that it won't be hard for them come Passover, which was another interesting tidbit. What what do you use potato flour for with nuts? I, I mean, I guess we must coat them with something as they're roasting them. I don't know what exactly the role is or what other flour. I don't know. I've never, I'm, I don't know a whole lot about roasting nuts, but I understood just enough to catch that he was saying that they're, you know, that they never have wheat in their oven, which was kind of a cool. That's, that is really neat. Yeah. Well, we could talk about Passover preparation forever. But I want to thank you for your highlights today, because I think it's interesting that most people who haven't had a chance to be in Israel during Passover don't uh, get an opportunity to kind of hear or see how unique it is as a, a, I'd say, a culinary experience, but just a shopping experience. Because in the States, we're just used to a couple of stores, you know, a couple of shelves in in a store. Yeah, just on that note of shopping experience, just one one more thing I'll add in terms of how it feels in Israel and how Passover is celebrated, which is very different than anything I had experienced in the States. It's a little bit like Christmas in that um, it's like a cross between Christmas and spring cleaning that people use Passover as the sort of impetus to do all sorts of other shopping um, and home repairs and cleaning that don't necessarily have anything to do with the holiday. So many, many people have the tradition that on Passover, they paint like all the walls in their house. Like that's just the time of year where they do it. They do it for Passover and they paint. Also very common is that people, it's when people buy new linens. So people are going to get, you know, new sheets for all the beds in the house. It's Passover. So all the stores have like big sales on all kinds of, you know, not just dishes and things that you think, okay, that's for the holiday, but sheets and pillows and, you know, towels that 
you know, doesn't have anything to do with the observance of the holiday, but it's like, oh, it's spring cleaning and it's the time for renewal and there's going to be sales. And so, so shops, not only food stores, but shops in general are very busy right now in Israel. I, I forgot about all that. That's great. That's mm-hmm. a, it's a great way to think about the holiday is I always thought about the spring cleaning part of it. I did not remember the renovation and purchasing of uh, new items. Uh, so that's great. So thank you for sharing that. Any other things you want to share before we sign off? I am wishing everyone a very happy and healthy Passover. We should hear only good and peaceful news. I am. And um. Yeah, and I'm sorry if the first part of this episode was a was a bit of a downer with the talking about the tensions that are here, but they're real. And yet you hear that on the other side, we also have things to look forward to and, and plan for the holidays. So hopefully it all balances out. Well, thank you, Liz. And thank you all for listening to Israel Rebound, a podcast connecting ideas and other things from the States to Israel and back and forth as we just did with Passover.